this is Paul Taylor of Winger, and you're listening to Rock Strikes 10. Hey, this is Ryan Roxy from the Alice Cooper Band, and you are listening to Rock Strikes 10, whether it's Saturday night or any night of the week. Awesome. What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and music is for the people. We at Rockstrikes10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, you know, I got the itch to do another concert chronology episode. It's summertime, just feeling like concerts. I'm actually going to a big stadium concert this weekend. A little nervous, a little scared, but also excited as well. Uh, but yeah, so let's do a concert episode this week. And uh, I'm going to get into the time machine here and talk about all the shows that I've been to throughout my life in chronological order. Of course it is. So we pick things up here in the summer of 1996. Actually, on June 11th, 1996 to be exact, and as a lot of these episodes do, we are back at the Dallas Starplex, the big outdoor shed in our neck of the woods, still going on, still happening. This venue is still around and still making people very miserable during the summertime, but also equally excited for concerts. It's fun, isn't it? Outdoor sheds in the South. Oh my gosh. Okay. You know, I understand like if people in the Midwest have them, but it just seems weird down here. Okay. But that all being said not going to shit on the Starplex too much because I was witness to my first ever Alice Cooper concert there on said date there of June 11th, 1996. Although my first Alice Cooper concert was with very weird and interesting circumstances. Not complaining so much, but it just happened to be the first chance that I got to see Alice living out here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area also being enough of a certain age to where I could go. And also, like I mentioned in the previous episode, going to see the show with Chris and his folks. They're big Alice fans. I mentioned that already. Uh, but this particular show was, I guess, kind of a co-headline, although this wasn't really Alice's show. Alice did about an hour. The story goes that Alice got this new band around this time, and Alice hadn't done shows in a few years, actually. So they just wanted to be all nice and well-rehearsed because they had some big money gigs coming up down in South America. 
and overseas during the summertime, so they jumped on this tour with the Scorpions headlining. And so Alice would do an hour, and Scorpions would do their headline set, and everybody would go home happy. Uh, it's interesting to see Alice and then the Scorpions. I love the Scorpions, one of my favorite bands of all time. And they are great live, always are. But even with the minimal amount of theatrics that Alice got with not a full stage, uh, it's weird to follow Alice for anybody, I think. And I don't care who you are. Uh, it's going to seem just a little bit less when you follow Alice Cooper. Maybe I'm being biased, but that's just the way I feel. That all being said, both bands were killer that night. No pun intended. I was just super excited to see Alice. I bought two Alice shirts that day. And the other cool thing about this show, and also this episode, by the way, I'm pretty much finding live audio, not so much from these particular shows I'm going to mention, but pretty much around the same time, same time frame, same year at the very least. So most of the show is going to be live audio from these particular tours I'm talking about. Very important that I do that because I feel like it's more realistic in how I heard those bands on these days so it just makes sense to me I'm sure it makes sense to you but anyway getting back to the show here at this point in my Alice fandom I have a good amount of records and I'm just now diving deeper into Alice's catalog you know I have a few studios of best of and stuff like that and I'm just now discovering via the prime cuts documentary which I, I love that documentary no matter how chop chop chopped it is pun intended uh, seeing that little clip from that TV special overseas of him doing clones, I was like, wow, that's different. And then, you know, I found a, a import specialty store in the DFW area, bought a CD copy of Flush the Fashion, and clones became one of my favorite Alice Cooper songs. As luck would have it, uh, just out of nowhere, and apparently after about 15 years of never playing it, Alice busts out clones on this tour. Now, the interesting thing about this is I've watched footage from those South America shows, and at no point do I see them performing clones. I mean, they may have done it on some of these shows, but as far as I can tell, uh, this was very rare to hear this particular band do clones at this particular time. And if you're interested, the lineup I saw in 96 with Alice was a longtime guitar player Ryan Roxy, Reb Beach from Winger on lead guitar, Paul Taylor from Winger on keys and rhythm guitar, Todd Jensen, uh, formerly of Hardline, and I think he played with David Lee Roth for a minute. He was on bass. Jimmy DeGrasso, who played with a billion bands, Y&T, Suicidal, Megadeth, he was on drums. So yeah, the band was super tight, and once again, they played clones. I was blown away by this. They also busted out Gutter Cats vs. The Jets, so I feel pretty spoiled that my first Alice show had both of these amazing songs, two of my all-time favorite Alice songs, Clones and Gutter Cats. Uh, besides that, it was a pretty basic, you know, greatest hit set list, because there's only so much you can do in an hour, but I'm just happy that, and I've said this all along, no matter what Alice does, he doesn't mail it in uh, for his hardcore fans. He plays the hits that he's got to play, but he'll also throw in some of those gems that we appreciate. And we love you for it, Alice. Moving on to the Scorpions set. Like I said, Scorpions, big full stage. It was like it was still the 80s. I loved it. Uh, but once again, like I said, with like zero theatrics, it's weird to play after Alice in that circumstance. But like I said, they were tight. They're freaking surgeons out there, and you should always go see the Scorpions if they're coming to your town. It's always a great time. So, of course, now I'm going to play a double shot right here. This is actual live audio 
from the particular year of 1996 from both of these bands. We're going to kick things off, of course, with the great Alice Cooper and Clones. And then we're going to go into some Scorpions. And I'll make that a surprise. And we'll talk about it when we come back.
Kicking off the show with a great double shot right there of killer live rock and roll. We started off with Alice Cooper and Clones. And that, uh, the audio on that's killer, by the way. That comes from the Japanese release of A Fistful of Alice, which is that really great live album that they did out in Cabo San Lucas at Sammy Hagar's club, Cabo Wabo, in uh, the summer of 1996. Actually, it was recorded like a week before I saw Alice. So, recorded on June 2nd. I saw Alice on June 11th, so that's pretty cool. And I want to thank the great Charles Edmonds, who's the proprietor of a great Alice Cooper fan site. Welcome to my nightmare.co.uk. Uh, it gave me the references I needed to find this track. Uh, you know, I was like, there's got to be a live recording of them doing Clones from 96 because it's just way too cool. And all these years to find out that there were all these bonus tracks on the Japanese version of A Fistful of Alice because I knew about the European one and it didn't entice me enough to like track it down. But knowing that clones existed out there, I was like, oh, hell yeah, I got to get this. And uh, so, yeah, you can find them the Japanese bonus track version of a fistful of alice thanks again charles and once again go visit that great reference site it, it, it gets you to all the factoids you need as a hardcore fan welcome to my nightmare.co.uk and the scorpions audio came from a show they did in 96 called absolute so uh, i'm assuming that's like maybe the city or the stadium that they're playing at because the clip is great it just looks like they're playing in front of a billion people so I don't think it's a corporate gig for Absolute Vodka or anything. But yeah, of course, there you go. Scorpions, always sounding great. That was Wild Child, a song that comes from their 1996 album, Pure Instinct. And I don't know if they did this on every show on the, uh, you know, on the on this run here. But when I saw them, and I remember hearing about this on the radio, our local rock station, The Eagle, uh, they were kind of pushing the song a little bit. Not not too much, but I was I heard it a little bit here and there. And probably for this reason, they were uh, awarding contest winners, I guess they called in at a certain time or that showed up at certain events, uh, a chance to come out on stage during the Scorpion set and do background vocals on this song, Wild Child, because obviously the chorus is pretty easy to sing. So I remember like a gaggle full of people coming out on stage and uh, doing Wild Child. So that was pretty fun. You know, it was a nice, fun promotional thing to do to tie into the show. I appreciate those things. And once again, Scorpions are great that night. I don't have the specific set list from the Dallas show in front of me here. It's not on setlist.fm. And I don't remember, like, song by song what they play, but just going by one from around the time here on the website, it looks like the ones that I enjoy the most as far as being, like, a little more unique. Yeah, there's songs from Pure Instinct on there. I'm just not as familiar with that record. They did open up with Tease Me, Please Me, which is a great opener, by the way, because that buildup is, is perfect for a show open. Uh, but for me, the gems that night would have been Alien Nation and Hit Between the Eyes. I think those are really great songs. And of course, we got all the big hits. Zoo, Big City Nights, Still Loving You, Rocky Like a Hurricane, Bad Boys Running Wild. Is it a bad boy running wild? Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right, moving on here. And I don't even have to look this up because I know the date. July 5th, 1996. That was the date I got to see Kiss. My third time seeing Kiss. And every time I had seen Kiss up to this point, it had been a unique show. I saw the Hot in the Shade show. I saw the Convention Unplugged show, as I mentioned on the last episode and bragged about it a lot. And I saw the 1996 Alive Worldwide reunion tour. Gene, Paul, Ace, and Peter getting the band back together. And it was the thing. I'm like... 
everybody went to go see this show. It wasn't just hardcore fans because they played multiple nights in major cities and all over the world. It was a happening, as the late great Gorilla Monsoon would say. And God, like the July 5th show, that was like one of the first handful of shows on this tour. So they were just fresh out on the road and they had a couple of shows under their belt. So, you know, I'm going to say that they were just at their peak as far as performance goes right here because they're finally a little more locked in. And yeah, it was a great show. Uh, You know, just looking at it with all the nostalgia, like it feels like it was a perfect show. I'm sure there were some, you know, nitpicks I could go back and find about it. But I just remember the magic of it. And I think I talked about this before, but, you know, real quick, one of the great show tricks I've ever seen is to play Won't Get Fooled Again over the PA. And I found out later just reading some articles that they actually would, you know, train the sound guy to constantly kind of keep turning the volume up as the song goes. And whether the people in the crowd realized it or not, the volume's just slightly going up. And of course, once that little break there in the middle and the drum solo and then the Roger Daltrey scream, as soon as the scream happens, crank it up all the way and then they drop the kiss curtain over the front of the stage. I mean, it was something else. It was just amazing. Like, I've never seen a reaction or felt a chill like that. And the band hadn't even come out yet. Just the idea that it was happening and we were for sure getting this show. And as soon as that last note on Won't Get Fooled Again, that last A chord, just all the lights out, boom. And it just, God, it just went crazy. Fog hits the stage. They come out and they do Deuce and they just destroy it. So, yeah, of course, I I have to play Deuce. I, I don't have to, but I want to. I found some good audio from that from 96. Uh, But also, why not? Because it's a weird tour in the sense that, you know, STP was supposed to open up, Stone Temple Pilots. They were supposed to do the whole tour. Scott Weiland, uh, unfortunately, uh, had some problems and they had to cancel out. Then it was going to be Alice in Chains opening up the whole tour. They made it a few shows and they had to leave the tour. And then it turned into this massive pivot where Gene was like, oh, you know, this is a great idea because, you know, we're going to give a whole bunch of different bands a chance. So basically, like, on a per-night basis, you'd have different opening acts or maybe have, like, the same band do, like, two, three shows in a row. But the idea is there's a rotating list of bands opening up the whole tour. Neat idea in theory. Uh, some nights, I'm sure it worked great. And other nights, it probably didn't work all that great because, you know, it's going to be a hard crowd to please. I feel like the Dallas show, uh, the crowd did not get pleased by the opening act. I didn't have anything really against them. They were fine. They weren't offensive, except when the, uh, I believe the lead singer blew a trumpet into the mic at one point. I don't know if he was actually playing it or if he was just being funny. But once you bring a trumpet out at a Kiss show, you're kind of done. Like, we're not performing The Elder here, and even if we are, half the people are going to be like, what the hell? So, but there was this band from Austin, Texas called Push Monkey one word, and they opened up the KISS show, and I think they did a few other shows in Texas. Uh, So, like I said, they're all right. You know, atypical hard rock alternative kind of thing with a little bit of a funk thing going on, too. So, you know, like I said, not terrible, but it was just uh, a means to get to the main event. But I did find a a Push Monkey song that I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'll play that on the show. So let's get back to the music once again. We're going to kick things off with Push Monkey from their self-titled record, and this song, which I relate to, it's called Lefty. And then we're going to get into some Deuce. Uh, and that's going to be from the Brooklyn Bridge show, 1996. That little mini set they did for the MTV Video Music Awards that year. So enjoy. Turn it up. 
right there you go a two for right there to celebrate the july 5th 1996 kiss show i got to go see at reunion arena i failed to mention that at reunion arena i've talked about it before that's where the home sweet home video was filmed and uh, fuel for life by priest the priest live album so great venue unfortunately it's not there anymore there's literally just a parking lot there so sad but yes I played you Push Monkey with the song Lefty, and then we finished off with Kiss live under the Brooklyn Bridge, 1996, around August, so it's pretty close to when I saw him. So there you go. That was Deuce. Of course it is. And we're going to get to the last show that I'm going to talk about today, but obviously that means there's going to be a lot of bands involved because we're only four songs in, four bands in, so I'm going to talk about the one and only Lollapalooza that I've been to. This happened on July 25th, 1996, technically in the town of Ferris, Texas, which, you know, is adjacent to Dallas. But uh, this is weird. Like, I remember reading about this in different articles through the year. And so the idea here is that Perry Farrell actually left the Lollapalooza organization at this point and started his own festival. And I, I didn't hear anything about it. I don't know if it happened. I, I don't have that in front of me for my show here today. I just know that it probably didn't do all that great because I mean, no one that I know went to it and I never heard anything about it ever again after that. And now he's back working Lollapalooza. But at this point, it was 1996 and the people that were in charge of Lollapalooza definitely were like, we're going to go more hard rock, metal, punk rock based. The fact that Metallica was headlining Lollapalooza in 96 was a big deal in the sense that it showed a changing of the guard for the festival. If the festival was going forward, then there almost would be no rules now because the idea behind Lollapalooza almost kind of meant initially it wasn't going to be bands like those guys. You know, it was more of the, you know, new, young, alternative scene and stuff like that. And all types of music for sure, but the idea is, it almost seemed like they were trying to keep the idiots at bay, uh, what have you, for lack of a better term. But at the same time, you know, from the word go, there were bands that might attract those kind of fans. Whether it be Nine Inch Nails or Ministry or the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So, you know, Lollapalooza wasn't above metallica so much it just didn't seem right that they were playing on it plus metallica is their own thing they can play anywhere and draw so no problem there so it almost kind of seemed like a weird move for metallica to do lollapalooza although at this point you know they're putting out load they're trying something new so maybe this is just part of the overall dialogue not even playing metallica today but i just figured i'd get into a little bit of the history about lollapalooza and where they were in 1996. The reason why they were in Ferris, Texas, because I guess since they were doing this kind of thing with like heavier bands and it's not the Lollapalooza that you first knew about, like the idea was, hey, we're still independent and we're doing it by ourselves. So basically the idea was like these mini Woodstocks kind of all over in these random places in the country, open field and all that stuff. And Ferris, Texas is definitely an open field. We were definitely on some dude's farm property for sure. I mean, I didn't see any houses or farms for miles, but it just seemed like, you know, we were set up somewhere where someone got paid that day to use the property. And I can imagine, I didn't drive to this show. I remember Chris's dad drove us out there. And that was the thing is that we went out there early in the morning and we came back late at night. So it wasn't the biggest deal, even though it probably took him a long time to drive out there and a long time to drive back. But that was cool of him to do that. So thanks, Richard, for doing that once again. But yeah, it, it was... 
we were out there probably like 18 hours or something like that something ridiculous like that and it's like you know it is july no shade in texas it is easily like 110 on the grounds and so it's just like oh it was definitely one of the hottest days in in my life but once again we're out there in the middle of nowhere it's all a palooza and at this point they've got three stages going on at this festival and you know we get there so early that like there's nothing going on they barely just opened up the gates and so we're just kind of you know piddle pissing around looking at merch and whatever but the only place that's uh, got any kind of live music going on is the third stage it's called the indie stage and it was basically like a bunch of trailers that had a stage inside of it so you like open up the doors to the side of the trailer and there's a band playing in it it was wild and so i was like oh this is cool so we stuck around for like two or three bands because you know by that point you know other bands were happening on different stages but i did see two cool bands that day so I wanted to play them here in this twofer. And this definitely kind of leads to the dialogue of, hey man, this isn't just a punter festival. We've got alternative bands, we've got punk bands, we've got freak bands. So, you know, they did a good job initially about, hey, you know, this is still for everybody. So I like that. And I learned a few things that day. I was like, hey, these are pretty cool bands, even though I've never heard of them. So we're going to kick things off here. I think this was the first band that day, period. And so I'm going to play this band called Crumb. And they have a nice little quick song that I really dig called Celebrity Judges. And then we're going to close off the two for here with uh, a favorite of, you know, the Synaptics, Randy Brown, my friend Logan. They love this band. And uh, I actually have a little bit of a connection to the band as well as far as just other shows. So I'll tell you about them later. Uh, so we're going to play some Crumb. And then we're going to continue on with The Cows. Enjoy.
All right, there you go. Some killer alternative rock right there from the mid-90s. Kicked off things with Crumb, and that was the first band that kicked off the day. Crumb, a San Francisco band, by the way, and that was a song called Celebrity Judges from their album Romance is a Slow Dance. Go check that one out. And like I said, uh, Synaptic Fave Rave and a Logan Fave Rave, The Cows, a true, great, hard rock, freak, alternative, punk band. Like, if, you, if you're a fan of the Jesus Lizard, you're going to love The Cows. Go check them out. And there's definitely probably some tie-ins there, family tree-wise, I'm sure. I do know Kevin Rutmanis, or Rutmanis, I'm not sure if I'm saying either of those right, but the bass player in that band, and by the way, a cool band from Minnesota, The Cows, they were awesome that day. Dude, like, jumped up on top of the trailer, and <laughs> I think he was dressed in a sailor suit, or I heard a story about Randy Brown saying he saw them play and he wore a white sailor suit. Think Stranger Things 3. Anyway, uh, but yeah, Kevin Rutmanis from The Cows, uh, he played like later on with uh, Mike Patton and Tomahawk, and he played with the Melvins as well. So I've seen Kevin play with three different bands and three different shows. So there you go. That, that's pretty cool. Actually, I probably saw him twice at the Melvins. But anyway, that all being said, that was The Cows with Divorcee Moore from their album Horn. That's W-H-O-R-N. Although you did hear a regular horn at the top of that song. We are sticking with Lollapalooza 1996. And speaking of the Melvins also, I actually did meet Buzz from the Melvins that day. And he was short, but, you know, decently polite to me. I've heard that he's kind of weird to talk to, but I, I feel like he's probably just putting on a bit. But I did talk to him briefly. Didn't get a chance to see the Melvins that day, not going to lie. Because uh, they were on at the same time as a different band. So I'll tell you about that on the next part. I plan on doing this one pretty close back to back. So let's move over to the second stage. And much like I said with the Melvins, and they were on the second stage, I actually didn't watch like one full set at all, or maybe even anything from the second stage that day. We pretty much stayed on the main stage because we were basically just kind of jockeying for position, you know, to get a decent view of the goings on. Also, without getting killed at the same time, you know. That's that's tough in an open-door festival. Like, for me, stay away from the pits, stay away from the nuts-to-butts areas, and just kind of have, you know, some space for yourself. That That's just how I am. That being said, I think I missed some pretty cool bands on the second stage. Like I said, Melvin's, uh, apparently Soul Coughing also played, and Benfold's Five played. Girls Against Boys I've seen before. Um, you know, so interesting, weird second stage. So, missed all of that, so we got to move over to the main stage. And the first man out on the main stage, I believe they went on like sometime afternoon or something like that, was a band called Psychotica. And they had a little bit of buzz going on at this point. And they were going to be like one of the new rock saviors as well. It was like, so think like Marilyn Manson meets like the glamiest part of Bowie. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, guy, Pat Badger, and apparently he was running some successful clubs out there in New York City. And he had this band, Psychotica, and it was definitely a collective of different types of people. I mean, he had a celloist on stage. He had a female lead singer helping him out. Uh, so everybody looked like somebody from a different band. So that's probably one of the reasons why they didn't make it. Maybe just the timing was bad. I don't know. But I know that they were on like Deaf American, American Recordings at the time. So 
They were on a decent enough label, and like I said, they had good buzz. They got on the opening slot for a big tour that summer, so it's almost like it was almost too big to fail, but it, you know, once again, it didn't really do much anything, unfortunately. Uh, me and Chris were walking around to some of the different places, and I believe it was after Psychotica's set, we actually met them. They were doing a signing on one of the side tables, and they were super, super nice people. They had, I don't, I don't, they might have just been giving away their EP, CD EP, like as a free enticement, because the full length was coming out a few months after that. And they all signed it, and like I said, super nice. I have no pictures from any of this. This was not a picture error for me, so no pictures, but this all happened for sure. Uh, so yeah, talking about Psychotica, they were working what was going to be their self titled album. And I, I was impressed with them that day. I thought they were really cool. And the other thing I'm going to play for you, because we're going to do another twofer, also mainly just because I'm talking a lot between the songs here. So we're doing twofers all this episode, if, if you couldn't tell already. And then right after that, a total yin-yang. Harkening uh, back to earlier Lollapaloozas as far as like, you know, the more grunge-type bands, alternative bands. Following up with Screaming Trees. You know, definitely one of the seminal bands that you want to check out. If you're really into the Seattle scene from the 90s. Uh, yeah, I saw Screaming Trees. And, you know, kind of speaking to the Scorpions following Alice Cooper thing. Like, it's weird seeing a band like the Screaming Trees play after a band like Psychotica. It's got this crazy stage show with all this smoke and fog and crazy outfits. And then you got Screaming Trees coming out. And they're all dressed like Paul Bunyan. You know, <laughs> but musically great. Yeah, absolutely. They, they weren't that exciting live, but they sounded good. Uh, but yeah, so this is going to be a really weird stylistic twofer right here. And yes, I did find live audio from 1996 from both bands. And I actually remember recording a mini documentary on Lollapalooza 1996 that aired one night on like an in-concert series. And I want to say it was on PBS. Not even kidding about that. I have it on tape still somewhere. It's in the vault. Uh, but yeah, the actual audio I'm going to play you by Psychotica is taken from that actual documentary. And then I'm going to play you something from Screaming Trees. They were playing live in the studio, supporting their album Dust that was out that year in 96. So they're playing live in a TV studio somewhere. So both of these are live audio from said year. So here you go. Here is Psychotica with Little Prince, followed by Screaming Trees with All I Know. Enjoy. Take your back. 
Right there you go. Psychotica with Little Prince definitely, uh, you know, backs up my Manson meets Bowie thing, <laughs> but I dig it. And if you want to hear the original studio version of that, it's on their self-titled album from 1996 called Psychotica. Uh, I definitely recommend you check out their killer, killer cover version of Devo's Freedom of Choice. That song's been covered a lot. It's my favorite cover version of that song. Really cool. Check that one out as well. And they, they actually have some cool material for sure. I, I think they're really neat. I even bought their second album. Yeah, the second album that nobody bought called Espana. Pretty cool, actually. But yeah, there you go. Psychotica, followed by Screaming Trees with the song All I Want, originally from their album Dust, which also came out in 1996. Of course, that's what they were supporting, playing the Lollapalooza tour. And yeah, so there you go. A really get up contrast right there and the get up contrast don't end there although the mentality stays the same in this twofer it's almost like the most punk rock twofer i can play as far as the day went uh and i'm talking about the surprise guest act now the other thing about this is every stop on the tour and it looks like there's only about 18 or 19 dates uh, on this tour according to wikipedia uh, but it's got all the lineups like lined up pretty great, so that's why I'm using it, honestly. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I did fail to mention, because I don't have any audio from this particular act, and not that they do, or anything that would be compelling on the radio, but the Shallon Monks performed a demonstration of different things, and it was weird, but, yeah, some Shallon Monks came out and did a set of stuff. Yeah, not hating on it, but, you know trying a little bit too hard to be weird okay that all being said there were some surprise acts i'm not talking about the monks they played the whole tour uh <laughs> I, I don't know who got them on that tour i'd love to know that I, I, that's when i need to find the person who organizes tour and find out the deal on that uh but yeah there were surprise guest acts that played uh, pretty much either like maybe twice or just a different unique band that played in the middle of the lineup on every show. And it was always different. So here's what all the other cities got. And I didn't see any of these bands. So the surprise acts for the tour were 311, Devo, Wu-Tang Clan, The Tea Party, Violent Femmes, Cheap Trick, 
Waylon Jennings, the Cocteau Twins, and Rage Against the Machine. Now, we got, because we're Texas, we got Steve Earle. So, yeah, I like Steve Earle, actually. He is, of course, known as a country guy, but he's definitely got the attitude of rock and roll, and he especially has the attitude of punk rock. So we love Steve Earle. He is definitely not boring. Go look up some of the highlights of his career. But And to further prove that point, so Steve Earle was fresh out of prison, which is very classic country. Fresh out of prison, and he uh, it's funny because he's playing to definitely a crowd of people that don't care that he's up there on stage. Some of them do care enough to throw things, such as, you know, water bottles and whatnot. And Steve is very humored by the little teenagers out in the crowd throwing water bottles at him to where he basically said something to the equivalent of, you guys can't scare me. I just got out of prison, so I'm going to play my set. And he flipped off a lot of people during the show, and I thought it was pretty punk rock. So, yeah, I, I didn't hate the set. But once again, like, you just follow this with that, and you follow this with that. And so it, it's a weird show. Uh, but, yeah, I actually do have... Uh, some good audio from 1996 with Steve Earle, and I'm going to play the song that he closed with, which was the first song I ever heard by him back in like 86, a song called Guitar Town from a Copperhead Road record. And uh, this audio, at least, it's not from Lollapalooza. It's taken from a show of people that were a lot more appreciative of his time, and that would be a room full of inmates. So uh, apparently he did a lot of shows playing for inmates, and that was part of his parole agreement, so you're going to hear that, followed by, I believe the band, I, I, yeah, I just can't remember the order of the day, it gets a little weird right here, so this middle part, but either this band played right before or right after Steve Earle. I am not sure about this. I want to say they played after, but this is a better closer anyway, so I'm going with this. The Great Rancid, once again, from San Francisco, another great punk band from San Francisco, Love me some Rancid. One of the two times that I've seen him, and I actually got tickets to see him again this year, which is going to be awesome. Can't wait. So yes, the first time I saw Rancid was here at Lollapalooza 1996, and I remember Tim Armstrong playing a super-duper huge hot pink Gretsch guitar, left-handed, slung down to his knees. That's also very punk rock. <laughs> And uh, yeah, they were great. They impressed me that day enough to where I actually gave in. Because it's one of those things. I was resisting a little bit because they were the cool thing at the time. But uh, I definitely broke down and bought the And Out Come the Wolves record and Let's Go before that. And then eventually that first album. And, and now I have everything by him. I love Rancid. This was definitely the day that woke me up to Rancid and realized that they were a great band. I got some great audio from around that time of them doing one of my personal favorite songs from And Out Come the Wolves. So here you go. Here's a little twofer. Steve Earle playing to some inmates, doing a little guitar town, followed by Rancid closing off the show with a killer live version of Old Friend. Enjoy. I want to thank y'all for coming because I know it's one of the few things you had a choice about around here, and I do appreciate you being here. Just had an awesome bamboo sand tone, the radio blasting the bird dog on. It's a beast trip, baby, in the sound of town. 
through the city at night Rancid was far from home But we knew we were gonna be alright Hey Lars, sing this one The vulture size say this is six sentences Pockets of mine, you can take my money You can take my time, but you can't take my heart I'm in the city behind Cause my own is hurting You're like an old friend Come and see me again, sir Cause my own is hurting You're like an old friend Come and see me again, Closing off the show here today, we started that set off with Steve Earle doing Guitar Town live from 1996. Cool clip, go look it up on YouTube. I, I, I will admit that like most of these clips today are from YouTube, so they're worth watching as well. It's not just the audio. I always tried to find the best audio if I'm going to go that route because more often than not, 99 out of 100 times, it's from my physical collection because I believe in buying physical media. But for the purposes of being authentic to this show and talking about these particular shows, it does make sense that I go elsewhere, like YouTube or other places, and find these particular pieces of audio for authenticity's sake. We closed off that set with Rancid doing Old Friend, a song that I really like a lot from the And Out Come the Wolves record, which is what they were supporting at that time being on tour with Lollapalooza. I got some more killer stories. I got even better stories concerning Lollapalooza on the next episode of Concert Chronology, which uh, now that I say that, I'm going to do it as the next episode unless something weird happens. But if I don't do it next, it'll be like the one after that. I'm doing it really close to this other one here. Got some more bands to talk about, like I said. One of my biggest brag moments took place here at this Lollapalooza. And I got a really neat way to kind of just do the theme of that show. So I'm going to go feed my cats because they are just, they've never been fed in their lives and they're horribly abused. And uh, yeah, but we love them. So I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. So join me on the next episode, whether it be Contra Chronology, next volume or something else. I just appreciate you spending this time with me. Now I'm going to send it over to my better half, Nola, the cat mom, with the plugs and the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, our new kittens, Ruby and Ripley, get a treat. We're on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going back all the way to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out these other quality shows. 
The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. Talking Rock with Joey and the great Mark Streakel of Talking Metal. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRusa and occasionally Joey. Last but not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRusa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent you. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. Game show is brought to you by Christ. I can't find it. The hell with it.